Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. On this episode of the Insurance Broker Podcast, we are talking to Alan Chandler on a very topical issue. Alan's background is in operational management roles across three major global companies. He's run underwriting, broking and claims functions and for the last 11 years he's trained insurance professionals across the UK and Europe. Alan has presented across Europe on many technical subjects to companies including Allianz, Zurich, Aon, Marsh and Willis. He's been involved in setting up many diplomas and advanced diploma programmes both in the UK and Ireland. Today, Alan is talking to us about the future state of the insurance industry and can it survive the COVID-19 claims. Hello, Alan. Thank you very much for coming on the Insurance Brokers podcast. I'm really excited to have you here today because we've got a really incredibly topical chat to have. So I'm really grateful to have you here. Delighted to be here. So um, today we're going to chat about the future state of the insurance industry and whether or not it can survive COVID-19 claims. Now, I know you've been doing an awful lot of um, CII webinars on this topic and surrounding topics and are the uh, the go-to expert. Tell us, talk to us, what do we need to know? I believe the industry is at a pivotal uh, stage at the moment in terms of uh, I think we will look back from an insurance history point of view and it could well be that uh, 2020 is regarded as the worst underwriting year in history. And I think to understand kind of where the industry is going, we need to take a step back for me, a step back to 2016. And that is when Solvency 2 was introduced. Solvency 2 created a whole load of new, uh, again, capital requirements across the European Union. And it started to take away a lot of the capacity, particularly in the niche markets. Uh, It never really got a lot of fanfare, I think, because solvency margins are seen as things that actuaries do. Sounds really like a lot of mathematics and boring, and therefore won't affect my day-to-day job. And then all of a sudden, you have people like Gable exiting, and all of a sudden, people go, oh, I've got nowhere to put trampoline parks, or my trampoline park premiums doubled. And all of a sudden, there was a relationship between solvency two it been implemented and uh, again all of a sudden it required lots more capital for insurers to write the same amount of business now that was the first real shock wave that sort of hit the industry um, then we had in 2017 uh, the Alton table change which again from the insurance point of view yes they were expecting the Alton table change to change uh, to actually make to uh, alter, but nowhere near the extent that actually Liz Trust, the uh, uh, minister at the time, actually altered it too. And it completely changed the casualty market, again, wiping out lots of profit on the casualty side. So you had these two things, and insurers waited for uh, the Ogden rate to kind of uh, get uh, into positives rather than negatives. It didn't happen. The government announced uh, last summer that it was going to remain at for you for England and Wales, minus 0.25. And uh, for Scotland, they've actually gone for even worse, minus 0.75, which is not even worse if you're a a claimant, I hasten to add. That's uh, joyous news for you because you can end up with larger settlements. But these were all, again, eroding the casualty account. 
Now, the property account also, because of the, uh, again, rates uh, that got lower and lower and lower, uh, we saw, again, rates that just weren't mathematically sustainable long term, where, uh, again, the insurers were charging rates where you looked at it and go, that does, doesn't bear resemblance to the risk you're running. And, of course, as a result, insurers started to lose more money on the property account. And this brings us into 2020 on a backcloth of capacity being kind of withdrawn, um, Lloyd's again putting pressure on their syndicates to actually clean up their books. And this was before 2020 started. So capacity issues already uh, hit on the casualty account, property rates way too low. So we, we, we were actually coming to 2021. I think insurers were just hoping for a decent year where, again, you don't get too bad weather conditions and nothing out of the ordinary happens. And we're into April, not even into the end of April, and all their wishes have been um, completely uh, dashed. First of all, we had within the first two months a whole tranche of new flooding on a property book that had no, no profit in it already. And that's, again, quite literally washed away, again, uh, a lot of risks and uh, as a result has affected the property account massively. Now, we then look at, again, insurers still clamouring to get past the floods of the early two months. And suddenly, of course, the virus hits. And then there's a realisation that as the virus uh, hit the UK, that business interruption policies may well get pulled in. And I think as insurers started to look more closely at the wordings, there was a realisation that actually they will be on for a lot more claims than they realised. And some of those claims are going to be a lot larger than they realised. Again, you look at some of the very big top-end ones on the Aon uh, Trio wording and the Marsh Resilience wording, which are incredibly wide wordings um, negotiated by Aon and Marsh for their large corporate customers, exceptionally good wordings. But when we're looking at there, we're talking about uh, notifiable disease extensions at two and a half million pounds a time in some of the big cases, huge, huge hits on the uh, um, industry. And that's why insurers have gone into a jolt. Uh, they've also faced the fact that, uh, broadly speaking, around 5%, maybe more, maybe less, depending on whether the uh, court cases favour or don't favour the insurers. But broadly speaking, it could be around 5% of policyholders may well be the claim for BI losses related to COVID-19. Now, this isn't going to run into millions. This is going to run into billions. And again, remember the backdrop. The backdrop is I haven't got spare capital. I've had a hammering on my casualty book and my property books are losing a lot of money because of the floods. All of a sudden, this is coming in at a time when the industry is already in a distressed um, state. So what's going to happen? Again, there's going to be uh, even less appetite to uh, underwrite. Now, we also got to put in, again, uh, also in a picture, the reinsurance market that undoubtedly will harden considerably. Why? Because we look around the world and we realize, of course, COVID-19 is a worldwide thing, not a UK thing. And uh, a lot of uh, BI wordings are not that dissimilar to the UK ones. And they will cover, in a lot of cases, notifiable diseases. And so, actually, as we look around the uh, around the world, uh, we're seeing like Lloyd's getting trailed through the uh, U- U.S. courts in an attempt to force them to respond to wordings that actually, even the wordings where they're probably not covered, the uh, potentially the U.S. courts are try- uh, or people not the U.S. courts, but the people taking it to the U.S. courts are trying to get the Lloyd's wordings to respond. And of course, this is going to be even if Lloyd's kind of get out of this, okay. 
they're still going to end up with lots of legitimate claims around the world. And secondly, they're going to end up with loads of legal bills as well. This is going to have a huge effect on the reinsurance market. If we then factor in all the other claims that the reinsurance is going to get from around the world relating to these business interruption losses, and the reality is the reinsurance industry is going to take a hit. The insurance industry will mean that actually taking a hit will mean they will reduce the capacity on offer. Uh, that will in turn reduce the capacity on offer by the primary insurers in the UK. The desire to kind of write business at the moment will drop dramatically, in my opinion. Uh, there just won't be the money out there. Uh, and insurers are facing another challenge on top of all this, which is already bad. They're facing another problem, and that is that of um, the premium is going to be eroded tremendously because, again, when we start running things like declarations on wage roll and um, turnover, when those are factored in and start getting put in, then the insurers are starting to be entitled to large returns of premium, which is, again, going to affect the profitability even more. And uh, so insurers are going to find themselves with uh, less risk because, unfortunately, some risks are going to go under as a result of the recession that's undoubtedly going to hit this country, unfortunately. So there's going to be less risks, less willingness to part with uh, premium in terms of taking out bigger tranches of cover. And uh, again, what happens, of course, when you hit a recession, some people don't insure at all. There's a way of just trying to save money. It's not a good idea, but quite frequently that's also an outcome. So uh, with plus uh, pushing and processing all the uh, return premiums mean that actually, again, the insurance industry is going to face a very, very difficult 2020. So, again, what will be the outcome? Well, less capacity because, uh, again, uh, the net result will be with all the claims, it's going to erode the uh, insurer's asset base. If it erodes the insurer's asset base, then they'll uh, have to rethink their solvency two calculations. And as a result, a number of the smaller insurers in particular were going to have less appetite to actually uh, write business. And what they will do, which often happens in a hard market, they will look at the sector's that they're least, uh, where they're making money the least, and that will be often the high-end, high-risk niches, which have already been hit quite badly. And again, I can see accounts like motor trade, uh, scaffolders, um, and again, industries that generally speaking are, are quite high on attrition's and I'm sure it's just saying we just don't want part of that going forward. Anything where there's poor mismanagement, again, I can see that being an issue. Uh, going forward. And I think a lot of niche uh, markets uh, are going to struggle. And the net result is, because remember, a lot of the insurers that provide niche cover are are often some of the smaller insurers, they're at Lloyd's or they're, uh, again, uh, overseas. And uh, a lot of them won't be seen out, or even if they do see out, they'll certainly be seen doing things in a reduced format going forward. And therefore, I can see a real issue around certain industries actually struggling to get cover at all. And I think, again, if we look at our, we want to look at our future, you just look across the Irish Sea and see what happens when attritional losses get too bad. And we look across the Irish Sea and we actually see that, uh, again, more than 250 insurers over the last five years have exited the Irish market. Now, what does that mean in reality for the Irish uh, citizens on a day-to-day basis? I do a lot of training and a lot of uh, consultancy in Ireland and I love the country. Uh, And what we're seeing there is the fact that um, now, day-to-day things, let me give you an example. You go uh, over Easter, if there hadn't been COVID-19, you'd have gone to a fairground potentially. You wouldn't in Ireland, 
because of the fact that, uh, again, the showmen that actually do uh, arrange all their fairgrounds in Ireland cannot get public liability insurance at all. And the local council said, well, if you can't get public liability insurance, you're not allowed on our land. And so actually what's happened, there's been, there is no, uh, again, there's, there's been a complete, again, lack of fares, as an example, in Ireland and a lot of other activities like ballparks and certain things for kids where, uh, um, again, a lot of the, these commercial activities just aren't existing as a result of the lack of insurance. And we have to bear in mind that insurance actually underpins our whole society. And all of a sudden, when it's not available as a product, all of a sudden things can't happen. Things can't occur. And uh, for me, that's exactly the spin-off that's going to happen in our um, uh, in the UK in the next few months when, uh, all, when everything kind of, uh, again, accumulates in terms of all the, the COVID-19 and BI losses, in all the flood losses. Uh, and again, when insurers take stock, they just go, we don't want the niches. And again, what will happen is there will be even less providers in certain sectors. I fear for something like the care home sector. They could get a wave of new claims potentially where they're accused of not providing protective equipment and therefore or adequate social distancing, making people come to work. There are going to be all sorts of claims uh, that will exist uh, around that arena. And again, it's a sector that's already massively struggled to get capacity. If they have any form of claims going in on that sector, that may again reduce appetite even more. So we're going to see premiums rise substantially. We're going to uh, see, for me, a lot of these covers struggling. Well, again, things like motor trade, uh, as uh, the last few years, we've seen people exit and exit. And uh, there's going to be certain motor traders, especially the smaller ones, that will really struggle unless they actually embrace a new way of thinking in terms of risk management and can actually demonstrate to an underwriter that they're above average risk by changing the way they uh, operate and by actually showing well-documented health and safety plans um, where they can show that they're actually uh, doing proper risk assessments. I suppose that'll have a, a fourth challenge where there is no market to insure or where there's no insurance for a market, you open up the possibility for rogue involvement which has additional risk Mm. attached to it which has its Mm. own knock-on effect and fraudulent claims or fraudulent representation of facts so there's even additional knock-ons there yes 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 all all of that will occur without a doubt that will most definitely be happening um people will be taking more chances on their disclosures absolutely and yes all all of that will be happening in the back uh drop of what we're in at the moment so for me, we will be going into a, a, a hard market of quite some significance. Uh, we're rating significant rate increases, much harder to get niche risks insured. Underwriters being choosy, basically. Just to pick on your niche comment, so um, having done a lot of these interviews with a lot of the consolidators, actually, one of the things that they consistently has come across in those interviews for the small broker have a niche be top three in something niche 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 yes what we're talking about now these challenges will impact that the consolidator market everything 
What do you yes. think is going to happen there? Yes, yes, I, I think it's going to be uh, more difficult. And I think what will happen, and again, this will really, for me, show about how good your track record is, because certain brokers, you know, and I work with uh, a few that are very, very good in terms of representing their niche as well. People like BJP on construction and uh, Park Insurance and Bristol on Showman, uh, Hayes Parsons on schools. These are these are people that have got a reputation. But I would say those that actually, they're going to be okay. I would say where, where there'll be more of a problem is where someone is niched but actually the loss ratios are appalling. So their schemes have run, uh, even though they niche, their schemes have not run well. So when you actually go out and insure pools cover, where they, what I would say is that some brokers don't underwrite on their delegated authority and some brokers have delegated authority but just look at their lowest discount price and quote everybody that as though somehow if, the, if my insurer says you can discount rates up to 40%, their staff say, we take 40% off everything. That's not underwriting. And for me, there's a number of brokers that say they're niche out there that actually don't underwrite. And when an insurer starts looking at it, you go, you're not underwriting. What you said is we said you could have a discount of up to 40% means occasionally use 40%. Most of the time, don't use 40%. Use a, a, a premium that represents the risk. Now, the, the brokers I've just uh, mentioned are and many more, of course, out there do underwrite in a very uh, responsible way. Um, but there are also a whole transfer brokers out there, and clearly I won't mention those, but uh, who actually, for me, abuse the underwriting authority. They don't underwrite. They are given delegated authority. And for me, they may call themselves a niche, but when they start, again, because they haven't underwritten, they've just put business on at maximum discount without really doing anything in terms of adding value in the underwriting chain. They've just put it through a system, took it off, taken off the discount and just say, yeah, our scheme's going well. And of course, what the insurer will look at and say, well, it's running at like 130, 140% combined operating ratio. We're just not going to continue with this. And then you go and try to put that around the market in the hard market. And of course, what will happen is the insurers, no insurer will just take it. They'll just say, well, you've got to be kidding. I'm mean, not at that sort of rate. Unless you can put like 50% on your rate, we're just, just not going to be prepared to write it. And for me, that's why I agree with those comments, by the way. I think brokers, uh, smaller brokers niching is absolutely the way forward and get yourself really well known in a particular sector. But if you are given an underwriting pen, make sure you use the pen properly. That means actually, again, acting like an insurer would and be discerning on a risk, not just throw discount at everything in an attempt to try to create volume. Those days have gone. And for me, uh, brokers that cannot show and demonstrate a good use of underwriting pen are likely to struggle going forward. Absolutely. So in terms of the bleak picture that I think we might be facing, if you were to do a comparison with the 0708 crash, my personal opinion is this is going to be deeper, worse, longer. How do you compare the two? I would say probably yes. For insurance, are we talking insurance or economics here? Because uh, um, and, uh, and the resulting impact on, yeah. on this industry? I think um, the insurance industry is not in a good place. I think coming into this, I think that's the important thing as well. I think it will suffer uh, disproportionately because of the fact that, uh, again, well, it, it was the fact that it got hit by all the things I mentioned earlier. So it wasn't that we came into a recession with property rates making money, casualty books making money, some were, of course, 
But there was a pressure already on both casualty and property rates around the UK. You know, there was already a pressure. Insurers were already going, my gosh, we're really struggling here. And that was before uh, a recession is hit in. And that's why I think when we look at 08, when the banking pressure occurred, and insurers weren't actually losing stacks of money at that point. And so, yes, I think the industry itself will struggle. I think the economic recession, yes, it, 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 it will last. It could potentially last longer because I think, uh, again, we had the bank bailouts. These bailouts would be enormous and it would be worldwide as well. And so it could well take a lot longer to actually um, get things to sort out economically. And I have to say my concern is, of course, we go back in a few months' time, the virus hasn't gone away. You know, we've we controlled it, but it's not like it's going to be out of existence around the world. It's not. Uh, you know, we, we've got 12 months plus before we see a vaccine, and therefore... Uh, yes, I think you're right. It could well be a, a deeper and longer recession than the banking recession. Uh, and the effects on the insurance industry will be, yes, quite considerable because they started in a more challenging place than they did in 08. And yeah. so I, I think, yes, the net result will be um, that, uh, again, we will have a harder market for longer where people just won't have the spare capacity to create capital. And that's the reality. Insurance nowadays since Solvency 2, and nothing I hasten to add wrong with Solvency 2, was a very good thing, but it did put a huge uh, asset challenge on any insurance company going forward. And the net result is you entering into uh, insurance, you want to be an insurance company in the UK and underwrite, as opposed to an MGA that doesn't uh, take the, they don't take the risk, but they do the underwriting capacity. But if you're an actual provider of capacity, uh, no, I, 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 um, there's not going to be much appetite for that. I don't see much new capacity coming into the market and a lot of existing capacity will be withdrawn. And so, yes, I think we're in for a long, hard, uh, I would agree with your comments, I think we're in for a long, hard, hard market. Do you think there's going to be an increase in unrated uh, insurers? I'm, that's an interesting one. I'm not sure there will be um, because they'll... <laughs> They'll have to, from an insurer point of view, you're still going to have to meet to trade in the UK solvency two requirements. Yep. And it, you can't get around that to trade in, in the UK going forward. You, you know, you, you said it, it'll be a legal requirement. And as a result, you're going to have to have a lot of capital. And I, no, I, I don't anymore. I think those days have gone simply because I think solvency two saw the back of a lot of those because now you have to have so much capital to actually underwrite in the UK. That um, I think if you've gone to all those efforts to capitalise a business, you may as well get it properly rated. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh dear. So, what's your advice for? I mean, you take the Bieber membership base. Eighty percent of those are small commercial insurance brokers with less than a million GWP, right? How is this going to affect them? What should they be doing right now in terms of supporting their client base and in turn supporting their own business? And, and what advice have you got? Well, it's the, I'm clearly biased because I run my own training company, consultancy company, but I genuinely, <laughs> believe, I genuinely believe the only way brokers long-term survive is they train and they, they move to the word advice 
rather than the word price. For me, that is a small broker. You actually long term, you won't actually survive without being deemed an advice giver. And if you want to be deemed advice giver, you're going to have to get your staff qualified because ultimately people will judge you on your qualifications if you're going out under the advice ticket. They won't so much on the price ticket. But if you want to go out on the advice ticket, then, of course, at that point, people expect qualified people with letters after their name. And again, for me, uh, again, why solicitors and why accountants do fine is because people buy into the fact that actually I don't go online. It's complicated and you charge me a fee. Um, I think brokers will have to morph into a much more uh, showing and demonstrating advice. And that means actually, again, future-proofing your business against the likes of Amazon that will be coming into the market uh, and, and other uh, aggregators uh, coming in. And we also got to bear in mind that uh, as the population changes and more small businesses are started up by younger people, their natural uh, hunting ground won't be to a broker who's likely to be online. And therefore, for me, uh, brokers going forward, Train your staff, get them qualified and look like you're an advice giving operation to distinguish yourself. So that when someone says, why don't I just go online? You've got a genuine uh, reason there to say, well, if you go online, you you will be the, you have to be the expert in the relationship. If you choose not to go online, in other words, you choose to go to a broker, what we can demonstrate is advice. And the way you can actually demonstrate how good that advice is, is the fact you say, I've got a set of qualified charter broker staff who are ACI qualified, who know their stuff inside out, and they will actually be taking you through and making sure your solutions are appropriate. That Those brokers, I believe, will have a good future. Those brokers that don't train their staff technically, that don't focus on advice, but focus on price, bit by bit, their uh, margins will be eroded because uh, Amazon will be able to actually operate on a, on a uh, slither of the costs of uh, a small broker. And there's no way that any broker in the UK will have a better, uh, again, internet engine than Amazon. They will have a better brand than Amazon uh, and they will have the buying power of Amazon. So, again, when we look at I don't just use Amazon as one of many examples of people that will ultimately come into the commercial insurance sector offering um, uh, internet solutions for commercial buyers. Plenty out there already. And so, for me, small brokers, advice. I agree. I agree entirely with you on the... um, on the, so my background is I used to be an immigration lawyer. So making this, uh, there's a lot of people that go law to insurance. I've noticed as I'm meeting yes. more people. But um, I agree entirely on on that that the box you put somebody on that's got letters after the name, rightly or wrongly. And I know a lot of people um, refute that, but I, I agree entirely on it. I have a theory. My theory is we've spent the last century began in the industrial revolution. And we've kind of kept that mindset, but slowly, 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 the information revolution's taking over. And I believe that COVID-19 has just pushed us all off the precipice and we'll see where the cards lie. And I think there'll be collaboration opportunities with the small startup insurtechs and small brokers. And I'm not talking about putting everything online. I'm talking about a collaboration. This is what we do. Tell us what you do. How can we meet in the middle to provide the best offering? And People that can pivot and be open-minded in that respect, that are very entrepreneurially minded, those are who I think will survive this. I think one of the problems is, as a general rule, the insurance industry is more corporate-minded than entrepreneurial-minded, particularly from the, the smaller brokers. And I'm seeing that in terms of people who that I speak to and, 
and whether they can pivot in that way, I think will be really interesting times to see. What do you think about that? Yes, they're certainly going to have to go through a reinvention. I just, yeah, I believe they uh, are going to have to uh, be relevant for um, the 21st century. And uh, again, um, looking at people that and how people buy, uh, you've, how do you how do you get them off the internet? I mean, that's the key. If you're a broker, yes, you can go online. Of course, you can go online and say local solutions, local needs. I understand that. But ultimately, uh, again, when someone's in a hurry uh, and you've got the bigger brands out there offering solutions, you've got to say, well, why would I, why would I come away from you and use something more? And, and again, yes, and that well may well be. It's not saying you don't go through the internet. You could well do going through the internet, but even doing things that we're doing now on Zoom and actually just say, yeah, absolutely, there is opportunities there for the innovative broker to say, what we're going to do over and above what an internet engine is, and you may still buy on the internet, but what you're going to get is, uh, again, some help at the other end that's, uh, again, using potentially even technology like uh, we are now, where you say, well, we'll set up a Zoom meeting where we can advise you. Uh, all of a sudden, I think, as well, what will be interesting is the population, of course, has been forced into a change. And uh, what will be interesting following that change is actually how the industry responds because uh, all industries really all of a sudden we've had lots of remote meetings all of a sudden having a a remote meeting won't be a weird thing it will be a normal thing and therefore clever brokers i think well take an opportunity to say why don't we go and have meetings with our customers that maybe we wouldn't normally have had because they were like 50 miles away and only paying us let's say uh 800 pound in premiums so i wasn't making enough commission to make that worthwhile or suddenly you go well actually i'm not leaving the office i'm spending as much time on zoom as i would have on the telephone i may as well have a meeting and we set up a meeting on zoom and we go through all their solutions but i'm still offering that personal interaction yes i I think there's an opportunity there for brokers to kind of reinvent themselves and say i think there's an extension of that as well which is actually during this three months of lockdown whatever it's going to be we've managed our business efficiently and effectively. Why are we paying a £1,000 a month to our office venue? Let's become a home-based organisation. And I think you'll see a lot of businesses doing that, which will have another knock-on effect for commercial property businesses. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not sure I'd want to be a commercial property landlord at the moment. because uh, I I, I think they're going to face, uh, following this, um, a lot of companies wishing to downsize. So, yeah, that would be a challenge. But, yeah, you're right. An opportunity for innovative brokers to still offer advice, uh, and maybe through, yeah, through, through internet platforms, where they say, yes, this is, this is what you get. And I think for me, it's thinking, where's the future going to lie? Well, people are going to go online and they're going to look for cheap price. So how can you say you won't be able to beat their price, but you will be able to beat them on advice? And that's where I would generally say. But to do that, I think you've got to have staff that are, uh, I, I do genuinely believe that. I think I think insurance broking needs to be put on the same pedestal as uh, solicitors and accountants. And to do that, You've got to have people that are qualified because you look at the professions, the architects of the world, they've qualified and that's why people feel comfortable going to them. And when they get quoted a fee, they don't actually run away. They go, okay, well, I I, I, I kind of might cough a bit, but ultimately I'm going to pay it because I know that's what I expect accountants to charge me. Or this charge me, well, again, broker is a very key, important profession. Why shouldn't they, again, be looked at the same way as the other professions? Well, the answer at the moment is because a lot of them aren't qualified. 
there's no um, barrier to entry, and that's for me a problem. And I think if you can start coming away from that and actually saying to do broking, you need to be qualified, you need to be technically trained, then broking will have that better image where customers go, I go to a broker because I want advice. If I want to do it cheaply, I'll go online, but I want to go to a, a broker because I want advice. And yeah, I believe that's a new world and some of it will be done through internet and some very clever companies. Absolutely. I think well, we've covered a lot of stuff and I think it's really, really topical stuff. So I, I just want to thank you for your time on that. Um, if you were to give your top three pieces of advice to small to medium brokers right now, today or Monday when this episode will air, what is it? Right, my top three. Right, okay. Five, first whatever you want. No, no, okay, I would say first of all, actually, you invest in training staff to get qualified and look to become a chartered broker. Why? Because of what I've just said. Whether you like it or not, the world is going to move towards more and more fees and away from commission. That is just the reality. Uh, whether we agree with it or not, that is the real world out there. And customers are going to look to say, you're charging me that fee, justify it. So number one, I would most certainly say you go and you get your staff qualified so they've got name and they are letters after their name and they're giving discernible value. Uh, number two, I would say, uh, again, Invest in um, platforms where your customers can start having remote meetings uh, because I think that would also be a great way of actually being able to give that added value through face-to-face contact but not necessarily uh, incur all the costs and the downtime of uh, doing those, uh, again, uh, the the travelling. And uh, again, number three uh, for me at the moment is we do reevaluate your premises. Just from what you said, Sarah, actually, uh, reevaluate your premises needs and, and ask the question to say, you know, going forward, uh, do we always need to have the premises we have? Can we actually reduce it? Can we do more online? And that includes my world of training. You know, again, because you can deliver training an awful lot cheaper in terms of, again, looking at where you're getting your training from and actually saying, can we not do this remotely and then buy it in a lot easier and that doesn't just mean the training of course that can mean a lot of other things that you can do remotely have meetings remotely and actually uh, again just work more efficiently and for me invest in tools because i understand sometimes there is always a worry about whether staff are really doing what they're supposed to be doing but there's technologies out there that will help businesses manage in a very fair compliant way uh, monitoring employees without it becoming too interfering and i would say definitely invest in that because that's the future absolutely well i very much thank you for your time alan and would like to thank you for your time i think it's been really really valuable my pleasure thanks very much. To you.